Someone has to stop them. Forget about accountability. You should not be allowed to do this. The entire state should be dismantled for the amount of violence that they inflict. They should not have access to these weapons. They are a danger to humanity. It's a very cruel thing to have to watch over and over and over again. Palestinian parents have to bury their children. 51% of Gaza is under the age of 15. When the apartheid state carries out their assaults on Gaza, they are committing genocide on children. Lapid himself has referred to these latest assaults as a quote preemptive strike no israeli has the slightest idea what exactly happened just now that justifies war but everyone immediately lines up follows the government's propaganda with their eyes closed gets into character recites slogans what does this say about us how different are we from russian citizens not different at all because a lot of you are russian citizens <laughs> so <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gossam Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you were trying to run stories about dogs with PTSD while literal children were being martyred. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at palestinepod. Here we are again, deja vu, the occupation dropping bombs on Gaza for no reason at all, murdering people, murdering children, innocent civilians. Yeah, I came into this today definitely with that feeling of deja vu, not even knowing where to start, being like, we've been here before. We've said all these things. Didn't everybody understand last year that that this wasn't okay? Didn't, didn't we make our point that children should not be allowed to know what these feelings are like. Like it should not be within the realm of human experience for a child to know what it's like to fear for your life and to hear bombs dropping. Nobody should experience that. No matter the age, right? Like whether you're in your 30s or you're an elder, it doesn't matter. You really shouldn't be privy to that kind of fear ever in your life like nobody should be subjected to it and that's why they have the iron dome right that's why when rockets come back in their direction pretty much all of them get shot down there are no casualties reported inside of the occupation whereas there are multiple casualties as there are every single time there are rockets exchanged so on Friday, the apartheid state launched missiles into Gaza, killing 10 people, including a five-year-old girl whose picture has just flooded social media. I'm reading a story from Al Jazeera, which says, analysts said that there are intersecting electoral influences fueling Israel's decision to start what could possibly be another war. Disgusting sentence. Just absolutely yeah. sickening sentence. That there are people that are sitting there analyzing this situation, saying, ah, Israel is doing this because of electoral influences. And, and of course, we know that this is true, right? We know that this is true. Every time there's an assault on Gaza, it is 
taking place around the same time as an election so that the government that is trying to bolster support for itself tries to find legitimacy through attacking a defenseless besieged population. And it works because Israeli society is depraved and sick, just like those that are controlling the buttons uh, that are dropping the bombs, right? So, so this is a pattern that we have seen before time and again. But the notion that it is allowed to continue completely unchecked, the same time we're seeing these images, these sounds, these videos all over social media of children in their homes, absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified. And this is not the first time they have lived this. They've already lived this last year. For some that are old enough, they've already lived this again from a couple of years back. So here we are yet again. And what is it all for? It's it's not for anything. There, there's no point to this. It's absolutely senseless. It's pre- it's preventable. It's senseless. And 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 there's no accountability for it. So it, it takes place for absolutely no reason, ruins so many people's lives, and then there will be absolutely no accountability for having carried out these just horrific attacks. And then if you try and raise awareness about it, your Instagram account will get flagged, right? Your your ability to use the app will get reduced. They'll tell you that they're limiting the amount of times that you can do certain things for the betterment of the community, which implies that letting people know Palestinians are being slaughtered again is actually kind of a danger to the community, the guidelines, at least, of the community on Instagram. I want to take you guys just through some of the the posts that we have seen on Ion Palestine, because Ion Palestine, that Instagram account has been providing really exceptional firsthand documentation in the form of videos and photos showing what it's like for people in Gaza right now over the past few days. So in one recently posted video, you see a window into the home of a Gazan family that are absolutely terrified as the missiles are raining down around their neighborhood. This was shared by at aid underscore Yara. In another video, we see a Palestinian child who is seriously injured on a stretcher after having been hit in an Israeli airstrike east of Khan Yunis. Uh, this took place on August 6, 2022. The child must be like seven, eight years old, and they are hooked up to all sorts of really shoddy instruments because the apartheid state doesn't allow Palestinians to import medical equipment. So even the attempt to revive this child is going to be hampered by Israel's cruel siege. In another scene, we see a young boy who is crying over the injury of his father um, who was hurt in an an airstrike um, on Gaza. And he is shouting, you know, Father, don't leave us. Don't leave us. You see the pain in his eyes. And it's just absolutely like if your heart doesn't move when you see these things, then you're dead inside. Consider yourself dead inside. We also saw the image of the father of Alaa Qaddoum, who was the five-year-old girl who was killed in an Israeli airstrike, carrying her body out of the hospital, taking her to go be buried. And her body was wrapped in, in the white cloth that Muslims used to bury their dead. And of course, you know, the the look on the father's face is something that nobody should have to experience ever. And yet here we are, yet another Palestinian father experiencing the loss of his child, a child who was completely alive moments before, who, who the day before was asking, you know, her father for what 
what they were going to eat that day and, and, and was playing with her father and went to sleep and, and woke up and, and all these things. And it was a completely live human being filled with life. And this is something that I don't think that we talk about enough. These people were not dead to begin with. They, they had lives, they had hopes, they had dreams. They had interactions with their families until the moments before their life was stolen from them. And, and it's a very cruel thing to have to watch over and over and over again, Palestinian parents have to bury their children. I think here it's relevant to point out, we've talked about this before, Gaza is essentially where the majority of the population is under the age of 15. 51% of Gaza is under the age of 15. So when, when the apartheid state carries out their assaults on Gaza, they are essentially committing genocide on children, okay? 45% of the occupied West Bank is under 15. So that means that Israel's apartheid regime, its occupation, uh, all of its occupation infrastructure is violence that is carried out against youth. The thing to understand when we talk about Israel's violence, it's not carried out against soldiers because we don't have an army. It's not carried out against a state that has like capabilities, certainly not carried out in conformity with international law. Israel very clearly launched this latest assault. Lapid himself has referred to these latest assaults on Gaza as a, quote, preemptive strike against an immediate threat. Don't let that language fool you. It's completely illegal under international law to carry out a preemptive strike of any kind. So this is a totally illegal attack, totally immoral attack, a totally inhumane attack on mostly children. And there's no justification for it. You're doing minority report pre-crime. And also, I just got to say, like, the silence from everybody got a blue Ukrainian flag in their bio right now has been deafening. Gazans get bombed and people seemingly take no notice. Whereas in Ukraine, the second a bomb dropped, they were teaching grandmas how to build Molotov cocktails. The media was already glorifying their resistance. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the real fear here is how much more death and destruction does the apartheid state intend to inflict? You know, because it's at its whim. They're the ones who decide whether Gazans live or die. They're the ones who decide whether our millions of children are traumatized or not. And we also know that Benny Gantz, the defense minister, so-called defense minister of the apartheid state, has approved the calling up of 25,000 reservist soldiers. Lapid has said that the battle, the battle will, quote, take as long as it takes. What does that mean? Every time the United States says Israel has a right to defend itself, that means that a soldier has punched a woman in the back of the head, I believe. Yeah, or they have dropped a missile on a family home, a residential building, a media building, right? One of the other images that we saw circulating on social media was the targeting of a residential building in Gaza. We saw photos, we saw videos. We saw the moment that the Israeli warplanes destroyed the home of the Khalifa family in the west part of Gaza. We're talking about families. We're talking about people. We're talking about, you know, an entire community that is in a perpetual state of terror, 
something that nobody else in the world understands like Gazans, because they are the only ones who have been subjected to this type of consistent violence every couple of years over and over again and been forced to endure it because they are being caged by the same entity which commits this violence. Zionists are the only people who come from somewhere else and then defend themselves with guns and missiles against the indigenous population who fights back with rocks. Pretty neat, pretty interesting dynamic they got going on. Even a video from Ion Palestine where you see a residential building being hit and then you see a cat running, fleeing for its like for its own life. I mean, even the animals in Gaza can't be don't don't have the luxury of experiencing life like our own pets and animals. And and actually it's it's a strange thing when that when you see that and that touches you also in a in a really deep way and makes you really unsettled because you can't explain to the animals what's going on. You can't tell them what you know what this is. At least with with children, you can, you know, you can try to use words to to explain the experience or to try to take away the fear. Of course, it won't work. But most cats have nine lives. That cat has seen nine lives. I don't. I, I'm sick. You know, honestly, like I, when I was preparing for this, I was sitting there thinking about. All the international law stuff. Israel has ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. What what does that even mean? What does that even mean? That's that's a that's an instrument of international law that says that all children have the fundamental right to survive, to, to life, to development, to protection from violence. It's just a joke that we're talking about a, a state which the purpose of it, the existence, it, 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 existence is a war cry against that very notion. Its existence is an act of violence, you know? And then I hear from my family that the only power plant in Gaza has shut down because of the lack of fuel. This has also been reported in the news. And this of course is also because of the apartheid state. Israel has shut crossings with Gaza. So the power station has gone without fuel deliveries. This is something that they control everything. They control whether you live or die. They control whether you get fuel. They control whether the food crosses into Gaza. They control everything. So why why do we expect Gazans to live like that? Why do we expect Palestinians to just accept that as as their life? I was talking to my sister and she said something which resonated a lot with me, which is there's an asymmetry, a a very deep asymmetry in what we accept for the human experience for ourselves and what we expect Palestinians to endure in terms of the human experience. And it is so, it could not be more different. You know, I was recovering from COVID over the last two weeks and it, you know, understandably was was kind of rough. It was not an easy time for me and my family. We all got it at the same time. And that's probably the worst thing that's happened to me in a while. And now I'm thinking about people in Gaza who probably, a lot of people probably have COVID right now and they're, they're, they're not doing so great because there are no, med- there's no medication. And then at the same time, they're having to live through this assault of warplanes dropping missiles on them and their neighborhoods. 
a lot of people are probably perpetual are, are probably chronically sick with other diseases and they're having to endure this. There are plenty of pregnant women in Gaza right now who are maybe about to give birth and they have to experience the stress and the trauma of a military assault. There's probably women right now in a maternity ward in Gaza who are actually delivering as we speak. The ordinary stressors of life do not cease when Israel carries out its murderous campaigns against Gaza. And Gazans are expected to deal with the ordinary stressors of life and also being subject to a genocidal campaign that terrifies them and their families at best and at worst maims and kills them. It, if I can try to create in a, using just words, a sort of imagery of what it's like to be Gazan, maybe that can help. It's something that most people can't even conceptualize truly because when you talk to them about it, all they have to say is, oh, I'm so uneducated on that. They might, in their best attempt to sound knowledgeable, call it a conflict, right? Which in and of itself inflicts pain on the person hearing that because it robs you of the history. It distorts the reality. It is factually incorrect and offensive to anybody who knows what's going on when it's genocide, right? Plain and simple, the word is genocide. It's genocide by murder. It's genocide by policy. It's genocide by displacement. It's genocide any way you want to cut it. I saw a tweet from a father in Gaza, Isam Adwan. He said, since I became a dad two months ago, this is the first war on Gaza for baby Sarah. I have always felt that bringing a child into this hell is a mistake. No child deserves to live like this. So imagine you're a father for the first time. It's the first two months of the life of your baby. When your baby is so tiny, and so dependent on you and needs comfort and care and, 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 and to feel safe and secure. And there's a two-month-old baby right now in Gaza that's just sitting under these bombs. Yeah, but somebody think about the dogs in the bomb shelter. I don't, I mean, what can you say? What can you say to these people? You They're just- so arrogant as well, right? Like, they will mock the trauma. They'll be like, oh... But they're like, if if they didn't like it, then they shouldn't have elected Hamas. And it's like, who's your government? Oh, the one who bombed initially? Okay, sounds good. Like I have a tremendous amount of anxiety right now for my, for over 2 million people who are just trapped. They're just trapped. They can't do anything. They can't go anywhere. They're just caged. And they're being experimented on in the most twisted way with these missiles that are attacking their homes, that are attacking their neighborhoods, that are that are literally targeting houses. We've seen it. We know it's happening. And and the US said, what did they say a couple of weeks ago? Unbreakable bond. Unbreakable. Unbreakable bond. Love them so much. Don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. It seems like they've got Guns pointed at the U.S. the way the U.S. talks about them. Nobody talks. It's I've seen 
less forced videos of support coming out of North Korea. You know what I mean? Like I've seen ISIS videos that had a more genuine feel. It's really hard to, to, you know, being Palestinian is, is being in a perpetual state of trauma that never ends. And even when it, there are those moments of quiet, when there isn't a full out assault on Gaza, when there isn't full out assault on Al-Aqsa, when Palestinians are not being uh, arrested in mass in the occupied West Bank, when there, when, when there isn't this sort of flare up of colonial violence, even in those moments of relative quiet, there's still that lingering anxiety near Palestinian, because you know that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Because you know that no matter how much violence the apartheid state has inflicted against you and your families and your communities, nobody's ever stopped them. So what? So why would it be any different this time? We sit here and talk about accountability. It's such a useless art. It's such a useless conversation because where do you even start? Accountability for for which murder, for which loss, for for, for which execution, for which arrest? There is so much that the apartheid state has not been held accountable for. That the conversation on accountability is, it's almost like, it's it's almost like totally besides the point. Like someone has to stop them, forget about accountability and making them, you know, uh, punishing them or whatever. Someone has to stop them. They should not be allowed to do this. They, the entire state should be dismantled for the amount of violence that they inflict on humanity. They should not be allowed to exist as a power, as an entity. They should not have access to these weapons. They are a danger to humanity. I don't wanna talk about accountability anymore. I don't wanna talk about, oh, well, let's make them pay before the International Criminal Court or let's hold them accountable before the UN. I don't want a UN resolution. I don't care about that. They should not be allowed to continue to do this in the first place. We shouldn't even be forced into conversations about accountability because of the immense amount of death and destruction that the apartheid state imposes on Palestinians. They should not be allowed to do this. I think the part of the reason that they drop bombs is because the resistance is growing stronger as well. So the occupation has been facing increased resistance in Nablus and in Gaza, Ibrahim Nabulsi is known as the Lion of Nablus. He has twice escaped the IOF's operations to kidnap and kill him. The Israeli occupation shot and killed two Palestinians during a violent raid in northern occupied West Bank city of Nablus. They raided the Al Yasmina neighborhood of the old city in pre-dawn hours with the intent of capturing and or killing Ibrahim Nabulsi. They cordoned off a house in the neighborhood and bombarded it with explosives and gunfire. The raid prompted a gunfight with local Palestinian fighters who barricaded themselves in a house in the neighborhood. Officials for Palestinian resistance released a statement saying their fighters, quote, confronted the Zionist occupation's forces during the raid. Two men belonging to the Al-Quds Brigade were killed. They were identified as Mohammed Azizi, 25, and Abdul Rahman Soap, 28. The ministry reported that at least six other Palestinians were wounded during the shootout. Wafa, news agency, 
reported 10 injuries. It's weird because I can only find like one article about the line of Nablus and it comes from Israel Hayom. Yeah, they started writing about him as soon as like he survived and was becoming prominent on social media. They were like, we have to absolutely get in front of this narrative. It was a preemptive strike with news, with a, with a news hit piece. Thousands of Palestinians took part in the funeral for the two men in Nablus on Sunday afternoon. A general strike was held in the city mourning over their deaths. Israeli raids on Palestinian cities and villages are a nearly nightly occurrence in the West Bank and often result in the injury or killing of Palestinians. At least 65 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces since the start of the year. The UN reported that the number of Palestinians killed by Israeli forces in the West Bank and Jerusalem increased by 46% in the first half of 2022 compared to the same period of 2021. This article comes from Mondo Weiss. Ibrahim Nabulsi has been seen publicly at the funeral for his friends where the occupation murdered his comrades because they couldn't get to him. And he came out publicly and showed face in defiance of the occupation. It was at least 500 occupation Zionist soldiers who were reported to be in Nablus in order to capture and or kill Ibrahim Nabulsi. They failed to do so. This is, this is a quote right here. He managed to escape twice from the IDF, but he definitely will be killed, said Yoni Ben Menachem, a senior researcher at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. That's what their think tank sounds like. Their think tank sounds like, yeah, he will be killed. Those are the people who don't even have the guns. Those are the people who read books and write essays, and they're like, he'll, he'll be killed. Interesting society you guys built over there. Of course, the occupation has also been raiding the Janine refugee camp and facing a ton of resistance. There are active gun battles that are happening in Janine. Anybody who is willing to put their life on the line and sacrifice everything that they can, that comfort, stability, their future, anybody who's willing to do that, nobody in the West or anybody who doesn't even speak Arabic has any right to tell those people what to do and how to live their life. If they want to resist with violence, as is their legal right, they should, they ought to, and we ought to hold their resistance to the same standard that we hold any resistance that we glorify. If we're happy that there are grandmas making Molotov cocktails in Ukraine, I need y'all to keep that same heat when it comes to Palestinian resistance. There are a ton of like milk toast mouth anti-Zionist Jews who are like, I don't, I don't. If you don't support the resistance, shut the fuck up, period. Palestinian deep dive tweeted to BBC World Hey, this is a strange way of reporting how Israeli airstrikes have killed 13 Palestinians, including a five-year-old trapped under its hermetic siege in Gaza. Will you immediately amend this misleading headline to reflect the realities of the ground? Here's what the headline said. Quote, Israel, Gaza. Israel arrests 19 militants, suspects after Gaza flare-up. The headline should read, Israeli airstrikes kill 13 Palestinians, including a five-year-old child. What's weird here is that 
the, you know, we talk about it a lot, the way that the words that are used to describe the horrors that Israel inflicts upon Palestinians are just so improper, inadequate, irresponsible. The Zionists have called this latest assault Operation Breaking Dawn, by the way. I don't know if you know that, Michael. Again, another creepy video game name. When you're really just talking about genocide, right? Breaking Dawn. What, what is this? Is- Maybe Dawn is a person and they're trying to break them. It sounds like they are just in the latest chapter of their, what they think is a video game that they're just playing. What happens to be real people, real families, real communities. Such a creepy name. Also, what is the dawn being broken with? Airstrikes? Missiles? I mean, what, what, are you, what are you suggesting? It's really been difficult to read in all of like the analysis that has been taking place in the last couple of days about how, referring to this as an operation, you know, this latest operation, these operations. It just makes me really nauseous to read that because it's like, what, what is the purpose of it? An operation to do what? What is, what is the aim? Well, like you said, they're doing testing, right? They're doing weird scientific Nazi-like experiments, tech weaponry, right? They want to test all of this new weaponry that they've got. They've got old weaponry that they need to get rid of in order to justify the budget of next year's weaponry. And according to a former Israeli negotiator, Lapid and Gantz want to quote unquote, look tough. Yeah. Daniel Levy. They, they literally, they sacrificed people. They sacrificed people for a political agenda just because they view Palestinian life as expendable. But here's the real question. What kind of a society do you live in? And what are the values of that society when you look tough by dropping airstrikes on families and killing children defenseless people it's like dropping a an infant baby into an mma ring and and then being like okay now conor mcgregor is gonna and this baby are gonna go at it yeah and the double champ does what the fuck he wants so i just don't understand what that says about your society it's a it's a really you really need to evaluate what your society is and what its values are when to make yourself look good in an election year you just have to drop bombs on 2 million people that you cage and that'll yeah. make you look good. That have been under siege for 15 years and 97% of their water is undrinkable. Because of By you. the way, yeah, because because of your policies, because of the things you're doing that are murdering them. Anyways, Adnan Bark, he shared something that was tweeted by an Israeli, I guess. The Israeli says, no Israeli has the slightest idea what exactly happened just now that justifies war. But everyone immediately lines up, follows the government's propaganda with their eyes closed, gets into character, recites slogans. What does this say about us? How different are we from Russian citizens? And I'd say the answer is that you are... Not different at all, because a lot of you are Russian citizens. So, (laughs) so (laughs) go back there, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Stop bombing Gaza and get away from Palestine. (laughs) Oh, finally, I got you to laugh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) It 
took i want everybody on the pod to know it took uh, about an hour (laughs) 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 oh god damn i want to talk a little bit about apac these guys have been tweeting all about their wins in congress apac if you don't know this has been pouring millions and millions of dollars into democratic campaigns trying to prevent progressive individuals who care about Palestine from winning elections. They just unsat Andy Levin in Michigan, who is a Jew. So shout out to the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee for literally unseating a Jew because he doesn't want to murder Palestinians indiscriminately. He's not even very progressive, honestly. Like, I'm hesitant to give him much credit because his positions are bare minimum, but he does not want all the funding uh, in the United States to head to the occupation to be used to murder children. He just wants some of it, just a little bit. Guy still identifies as a Zionist. The guy says openly he's a Zionist and APAC is like, no, that's not good enough for us. Oh, yeah, he is a self-proclaimed Zionist. Okay, so the exactly. The APAC just took out a Zionist because he wasn't Zionist enough for them. And then they want to be like, how dare anybody say that we have any influence in public affairs? It's like, well, you're the public affairs committee for Israel. No. So the Intercept reported on August 3rd that APAC invested heavily in Michigan's Democratic primaries, dropping over $8 million through its Super PAC United Democracy Project. And almost half of that spending went to unseat Andy Levin. So the campaign to defeat Levin was, was successful. Was successful. Levin was quoted as saying, I'm really Jewish, but APEC can't stand the idea that I am the clearest, strongest Jewish voice in Congress standing for a simple proposition. There is no way to have a secure democratic homeland for the Jewish people unless we achieve the political and human rights of the Palestinian people. Not only is Levin a self proclaimed Zionist, he's also a former synagogue president and a quote-unquote scion of a prominent Jewish political dynasty. APEC spent over $4 million in ads and mailers attacking Levin and boosting his opponent, Stevens, also received over half a million dollars in bundled donations from APEC-aligned conduit PACs. They also tried to get rid of Rashida Tlaib and Cori Bush, but they failed because pro-Palestine positions are popular. People don't want to see children get murdered. Another instance showing how much influence Zionists have in American politics is that a Michigan Democratic group actually had to apologize for a TikTok they made because they said something like Zionists have no place in office. And they were referring to Haley Stevens, who is the person who won election over Andy Levin with the help of APAC. But as we mentioned earlier, Annie Levin identifies as a Zionist. There were some Zionists who were like, how dare he? Blah, blah. You know, they, they went they went bananas as they do. Post had to be taken down. The group had to apologize. It's pretty clear that Zionists have a significant, if not damn near total influence over U.S. politics. And it's not anti-Semitic to say what is factual because they're filing returns. They're providing receipts for how much money they are spending, 
right? <laughs> it's it's pretty cut and dry. It's not anti-Semitic to say that the APAC Super PAC has spent more money backing Stevens than it has any other candidate this primary cycle, right? And the only expenditure that surpassed it is the $4.2 million it spent successfully opposing a Maryland congressional bid by former Representative Donna Edwards. I think what's really gross is watching APAC tweet its successes in terms of the individuals that it has been able to put into office with its immense amount of monetary donations. Yeah, it's like when the Yankees gloat. It's disgusting. You guys have a billion dollar budget. They literally tweeted, being pro-Israel is both good policy and good politics. 10 APAC-backed pro-Israel Democrats have defeated a detractor of the U.S.-Israel relationship. And then they tweet individual photos of those Congress people saying that they were election winners, an APAC label on them. I mean, so basically what you're saying is that APAC purchases individuals and puts them in Congress so that they can just essentially be arms for the Israeli apartheid state. Yeah, that's what they're saying. But if anybody else says that, you know what it is. Right. Big, big, you know what vibes. Big, big, you know what, exactly. Man, it, and, and, and I think like the really disheartening thing is to see how many people of color are actually in this tweet. O- over half of the individuals that APAC has, has installed into U.S. politics in this, last, um, in this last election cycle are people of color. And that's just really, really, really disheartening to see how they are being used as pawns by an apartheid state either knowingly or not knowingly, it also shows that where APAC is focusing its efforts. It, it spends more money trying to get Democrats into office than it does Republicans. The Zionist lobbies have been focused way more on Democrats than they have on Republicans. Democrats sometimes are way more enthusiastically Zionist than even some Republicans. For Palestinians, this sort of faux distinction between a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't mean anything to us. Our policy is the same. We get killed the same amount. It doesn't change anything in our life. So you can't really ask a Palestinian American or somebody who supports Palestinian human rights why they are not so enthusiastically democratic. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. And oftentimes they carry out or they hold uh, views and, and support policies that are equally destructive for our lives. I think the difference is that when Nancy Pelosi carries out a drone strike, she takes a knee. Yes. Yes, we do know that. We have seen. But that's just because she has bad balance. <laughs> yes. We... Someone needs to help her up. So there was a video that came out of two Emirati tourists who were visiting the occupation because, you know, they've got that little tourist exchange right now where they do all of the sex slavery stuff, but they are trying to market to one another that, you know, the people should go and exchange culture and just start hanging out and it'll be all good and you'll have a great time. And then what actually happened is... Two tours for the Emirates came to the occupation and 
got put on their back, got roughed up, got mistaken for Palestinians and were trying to do their best to be like, hey, we're with the embassy, like we're like, stop, (laughs) you know, because that's not how people should be treated. But the occupation forces obviously don't understand compassion or humanity. And so they just did what they do, which is rough people up and then put them into handcuffs and stuff. And so it's just probably like, you remember that video that was like, come visit the occupation, like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's actually the perfect marketing video for what it would be like if you came to visit the occupation is uh, you will get bitch slapped and put on your back, put in handcuffs and disrespected. Welcome to occupied Palestine. Yeah. Anybody who wants to come. Yeah. And let's be let's be let's be super clear about this. They were only subject to that treatment because of their Arab features. So they right. were they were mistaken for Palestinians. The response to all of this is, no, 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 we're not Palestinian. We're Emirati. So you don't have to body slam us to the ground. Right. Right. Classic misunderstanding. We're from a different area. That's why we deserve more rights. That's why we deserve more care, more concern, because we're not from here. Just like the person body slamming us, we're from somewhere else, folks. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Check us out on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And please find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Do 